Welcome to the golden age of media. We're two people who started the 80s as little kids and ended the 80s as teenagers. And in this podcast, we'll share some of our favorite moments of the 1980s media. Books, movies, music, you name it. We'll possibly do it. All right. You have anything awesome to say before we get going? Um, no, my, no, no, but hello. (laughs) All right. So I guess the first thing I'm going to talk about today is the uh, movie Steel Dawn starring Patrick Swayze. That's a real gem. Yeah. So this wasn't my first choice this week, but when I was going through movies and TV shows of our favorite decade, I was struck by Patrick Swayze as the post-apocalyptic hobo as I remembered him staring back at me from the VHS box of the rental store from days gone by. With the uh, gray headband? Yeah. Yeah, that's my kind of look. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just, uh-huh. a, it's just a picture of his face, but somehow it sticks in my, oh, it's stuck in my memory. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, and I was also highly affected by um, VHS box covers as a person in the 80s. I, I look at stuff now, I'm like, I remember that cover and I will watch the movie just because I remembered the cover. Which is exactly <laughs> what got us here today. Exactly. So when I was first looking into this movie, I saw some reviews where they were basically said that this movie is just Shane, the night the 1950s Western set in post-apocalyptic times. And uh if you if, the, like you don't end, have to rewatch end, Shane, what I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, but in the end, in defense of Steel Dawn, in the end, aren't just all movies just recycled stories eventually, you know? Yeah, you might be right. And uh I was thinking, you know, I was thinking that uh, this isn't the only movie that kind of follows that same sort of storyline. The guy comes to town, saves the day, ba ba ba, leaves at the end, and right. Even like Magnificent Magnificent Seven's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bad guy comes, good guy shows up, gathers a few more good guys. Yeah. Showdown. Basically, most westerns, if you really think about it, kind of follow that. You know what I mean? Like the uh, the Clint Eastwood movies, you know, he kind of comes to town, takes care of business, leaves. True. One of my favorite movies in the whole world, which is not in the 80s, is The Warrior's Way. And that is also, he shows up to a town. Chaos ensues. Good guy wins. Yeah. He walks off into the sunset, literally. They probably, they probably do that so that men enjoy the movie more because they get to have their moment of glory, but they're not saddled with commitment. They're just leave. And adulting and responsibilities and shit (laughs) like that. (laughs) Like, no, I'm a free spirit. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this movie apparently came about when someone went to see The Road Warrior in Star Wars and then came home and thought about it while the classic 1953 Western movie Shane played in the background. (laughs) Right. This movie starts with Shane, or uh, Nomad, doing a headstand in the sand dunes and a wasteland area as one does yeah we'll (laughs) we'll we'll understand later why he's doing that but but barely so (laughs) and this is in this uh star wars ripoff part some sand people come up from out of the sand and they're trying to steal his backpack which i think is just a plot point to move the movie along because what the fuck does he have he's a drifter like right true 
but it gives him an excuse to kick some serious ass. And uh, he even uses his wasteland hobo ninja skills to stab a sand guy who's hiding in the sand. He's essentially saying, I don't accept your surrender, and I sentence you to death. Okay, as one does, again. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to kill a few people to let yeah. them know what level you're on once <laughs> your kung fu is out, you know, out in the open. <laughs> once you open that can of whoop ass, you can't put the lid back on. Exactly. You just got to, like, slice, dice, and put them away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Road Warrior Shane is wandering the wasteland, and we see someone sneaking up on Nomad, which of course is impossible, but as luck would have it, our sneaker is not your typical highwayman bandit, but he's Nomad's former teacher, Cord, who we apparently did, hasn't seen since, quote, the war, which will be alluded to often in this movie, but never explained. <laughs> okay, anyway. there was a war, just know that. There was a war. We don't know why. We don't know the end. We don't know the end results. It's just there was a war. Just know that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about the Rambo ripoff part. <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway, Cord, Cord, uh, he tells Nomad he's going to this town called Meridian to be a peacemaker. While they're having a couple drinks in a tavern that would obviously exist in the middle of fucking nowhere after the fall of civilization. And as they're drinking, some rough trade enters, and Nomad is poisoned, it seems, so he is immobilized while Cord is fighting with the mysterious henchman. While Cord's martial arts skills are superior, appearing to give him the upper hand, the head villain pulls a dirty trick by activating his switchblade shin thing on his rad heavy metal outfit, allowing him to win by stabbing our beloved teacher with his wicked knee knife. So that is so roadhouse as far as your teacher cannot outlive you. Yeah, <laughs> you have to watch your teacher die, or it, a lot of dude action flicks is your bestie has to die. They got to kill your dog, your horse, your best friend. You know, if your cop, your partner dies, obviously. Right. And then, then you have to enact revenge. Well, that's that's true in this movie too. So we don't disappoint. See, I love the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So in his grief, Nomad gives Cord a poorly attended funeral and burns his surprisingly flammable corpse. <laughs> did you say a poorly attended funeral? I did, because it's just him. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't exact nomads don't have phones. I mean, how they oh, you know what? I was about to say, did they get people to show up to the funeral via smoke signal? He couldn't get he couldn't even get anybody who was at this no apparent reason, middle of nowhere mountain tavern to just hey. This guy was all right. Just come on with me. And we, you know. Yeah. Just of bow course. your head for a few minutes, would you? Yeah, exactly. Nope. How, yeah. How dare I question it? Oh, excuse me. Keep going. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, you know, so we burn the corpse. It's unreasonably flammable. I don't, maybe I missed something. I don't know. Right. But he goes up like, you know. <laughs> like he's tender. Yeah. Like he's a bunch of cotton or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like an oily, <laughs> he's an oily rag of a man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're wandering the wasteland and we're walking past crazy shit like, hey, there's half a snake. Hey, there's a dead guy with half a snake. Wait, a oh. half a snake? Yeah. Okay. Half a snake. And then there's a dead guy a few, you know, seconds later with half a snake stuck to him. I don't know. <laughs> And then there's a ship in the desert, which I guess is supposed to, like, you know, tell us that the world has gone to hell. I don't know. Again, as one has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's I just guess to let the, you know, like, look, shit's gone bad. All right. It's yeah, so this bad. is how bad shit is. This ship, this is yeah. like, I, I'm in the middle of the ocean. Look at, here's a ship, and this is a desert. Instead of finding litter on the side of the road, you find like half dead animal or animals cut in half that are dead. Yeah. Dead men, ships. <laughs> like, was there something edited out that would explain? Like, I, I get the gist of the guy was bitten by the snake and was trying to fight it off, I guess. Right. I, I don't know. Anyway. I know. I was like, did the snake? Because honestly, when you said that, I'm like, okay, so the snake bit him. And as he's dying, he cuts the snake in half? I guess. Okay. But you see the first half of the snake, you know, you see a half snake first. Yeah. Like, like the huh. top half or the bottom half? Like the bottom the half. The bottom half. And then like okay. a little while later, there's the dead guy with half a Clutching snake. the top half. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like the top half stuck to him. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if they were going to rip off that part from the road warrior with the snake and they just oh, true. Know, ran out of time. Right. Or they're like, no, that's too close. We have to like suggest it. <laughs> or they did the whole thing and the guy's like oh shit i didn't turn the camera on i'm like fuck we don't have another snake all right just lay down and put the snake on him <laughs> like, <laughs> or they accidentally killed an extra and they're like well, we can't waste this <laughs> i know right drag him over in the corner and put a snake on him <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway because people like the dog and the road warrior we see nomad making friends with a random dog of course shortly after they settle in to overlook a homestead Kind of just like Mel Gibson and the dog did in The Road Warrior, you know, when they're overlooking the refinery. Um, oh. Shane probably overlooked something too. I just can't remember. I know. He probably stood on a vista and overlooked a farmstead. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. So, Nomad decides to approach what we learn later is a purification farm. And that's oh. where we'll meet the widow Kasha, played by Lisa Niemi, who was Patrick Swayze's real life wife. And she's a hottie McCott a lot, let's be real. She has unreasonably thick hair too. Yes. And when he's when he's approaching too, you know what I mean? Yeah. When he's approaching the farm, she like closes this waist high gate. Like it's it's not exactly the fence from the road from the road warrior that's made out of buses. It's just it's like a waist high gate. I know. Even I know me, you're like, excuse me while I put my plywood right here. <laughs> I'm 44 and fat and I could jump over this gate, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sure I could swing my arthritic fat ass over it. <laughs> so you might be able, you might be tempted to believe that these two handsome people met and fell in love while making a career-changing blockbuster. But the truth is that they'd already been married for a decade before they were persuaded to dress up like extras like from a Motley Crue Shout at the Devil era video and embark on a box, box office flop of a remake of Shane for the MTV generation. It kind of reminded me also of the Wild Boys look from the... Um uh duran duran video yeah it's the headband for me it's the headbands because they both have headbands at one point i'm sure i think yeah the and patrick they, um, it's the headband see <laughs> do you remember any stories in the 80s of uh uh like health and beauty tips about preventing uh under the headband acne <laughs> no but um the aquanet forehead acne was real yeah <laughs> Well, that's what I'm, I'm guessing this uh, headband acne would have been a thing, too. Uh, probably. They would call it like back band acne or something uh-huh. nowadays. <laughs> so they met as teenagers in the early 70s, and they were married in 1975, and they stayed married until Patrick Swayze's death in 2009. And she's only been married once since then. Yeah, only once since then. And that's a big deal for Hollywood. <laughs> but... Kasha needing help on the farm invites Shane to stay. Nomad bonds with Jux, Kasha's son, because that's what happens in Shane. 
But this is also where we're introduced to Tark, played by none other than Brian jo- James. Jones, not Brian Jones, Ryan with an O, James, who we remember from Cherry 2000, don't we? He has a say. Um, he was a, a, a guy in the bar in Cherry 2000, right? Yep. He's in a yeah, lot okay. of things. I couldn't remember his name. It was like a female's name, though, like Stacy or Kelly or something like that in the movie. Oh, yeah. So he's that's, got what a wicked, that's what my stuttering was. He's got a <laughs> wicked blonde skullet and he's got facial hair that even the Hulkster would envy. Awesome. <laughs> so later, there's some sort of gathering party in town hall sort of thing where Kasha is expressing hope for the future because a peacemaker will be arriving soon. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> we know Cord the Peacemaker has been burned to ash, presumably after a nomad made triple sure he was actually dead and not just badly hurt. <laughs> not just badly hurt. <laughs> so this mediocre party is on a strong downhill slide. And it's also where we meet Damn Neil, our main antagonist. He basically gives everyone the Lord Humongous speech of just leave. Leave <laughs> with your life. And his henchmen decide to be dicks and pull over the weird fire thing that's central to the party. And it's all awkward because they do it with like two ropes or a rope and two horses. Right. <laughs> and it know. takes forever. Like at any point, somebody could have stopped them. <laughs> yeah, it moves real slow. Like someone could have just like clapped their hands really hard close to the horses and spooked them and fucked the whole thing up. But or just slapped them no. on the ass as they went by and made them mad or whatever. Yeah. Everyone just passively watches them do it. Yeah, I know. Like it, it's like he's like, hold on, I'm still setting it up. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna tip this over. We're gonna yeah. fuck this party all up. You Come just on, Bob, back the horse up. Let's go. God. <laughs> oh, the, oh the horse is shitting and i just stepped in it. Oh, like, oh, he's taking a piss break everybody hold on we're gonna need an extra minute here <laughs> anyways party over yes the next day we visit meridian which seems which just seems like a ripoff of barter town from thunderdorm and of oh, course bar- how about tire town from solar babies <laughs> i haven't watched that in a long time we were supposed to watch that but you know things happen <laughs> lies yeah fine <laughs> Anyway, I still have it on my list because, you know, I'm supposed to watch it for that one thing. I watched it. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why waste Why waste your energy, right? Exactly. You put the hard work enough watching a movie. Yeah. Why waste the good times in a movie that I own on DVD? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Of course, the henchmen show up on what seem like low budget speeder things. They're kind of like a homemade soapbox racer, DNA. <laughs> had a fight with i don't know a sailboat i know they're they're lame but it's uh, like, anyway. a, like a kit car gone bad yeah i don't know it's like they kind of wanted to rip off the speeders from star wars but you know they kind of didn't, didn't have, have the, the budget money. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they drove around on trash day gathering random shit and you know <laughs> screwed it together and it anyway so of course they make you know they're henchmen they're stupid they start a fight with nomad and you know, you know how that's gonna end. Nomad totally kicks their ass. Just hands it to them. Right. Yeah. They didn't have a chance. No. But you know, Kasha and Tark see Nomad kick some major ass and they decide to go through his stuff while he's out working in the uh, purification farm. You know, because that's what you do. To when you're, him. yeah, <laughs> like that's what you do with someone you just learned can really kick the shit out of you. you. That's what you do to gain trust is go through the guy's stuff when he's not around. Exactly. So like, they hey, find... this guy could kill me with one punch. Let me look what's in his bag. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> they're going through his shit and they find his sword and they realize that he has his fancy sword and his stuff. And they realize that he was a quote officer in the guard. 
and they imply that that's not cool. They don't tell you why or what the guard was or anything. Yeah. You just, oh, he was an officer in the guard. <laughs> oh. Oh, what is the like, well, I don't know. What officer? We're not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. But they just decide that uh, we'll see how it plays out. Anyway, so Jux, Kasha's son, after seeing Nomad kick some serious ass decides he wants to learn how to fight. And that's when we learned that the uh, goofy headstand thing from the beginning was actually Nomad's meditation. So he draws this triangle in the dirt and you got to put your hands here. And he tells Jux that, you know, once he masters the headstand, then he'll, that'll be his first lesson on his road to becoming a hobo ninja. To be a, yeah, as I say, to be a hobo ass whooper, a vagabond ass whooper. Yeah. Yeah. So nightfall comes and some baddies come and vandalize the farm. Of course they do. Yeah. But Nomad goes out there and kicks their ass and subdues them and then gets back into bed pretending he's never he never knew what was going on but kasha knows and yeah. he, now she's now he's really gaining her trust and she tells him about her secret wells there's a secret wellspring underneath her farm which is uh the source of her plan to build a new city because water is in short supply in the wasteland yeah, as I say, it's all desert land, and this bitch owns a well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So after that, we have a you know a little montage of Nomad adapting to farming life, and you can see the love growing between him and Kasha. The sexual tension. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the you know the other day, the other night with our uh, invaders, our intruders, we had, they had done some damage. So Nomad decides it's time for him and Tark to go to Dan Mill's place and re and steal some parts to replace the damage his men had done. Okay. Yeah. A little bit, you broke my shit, I take yours. I get it. Right? Yeah. So they break into Dan Mills' uh, compound, I guess you'd want to call it, farm, homestead, private property, whatever. (laughs) And they sneak in, and we have a comedic moment where uh, Nomad and Tark walk in on some naked women and they're just sitting there mesmerized staring at them and they don't want to leave but eventually the the big heads prevail over the little heads <laughs> accomplish their mission stealing a pump in a wagon and at this point dan mills decided to call in a professional to deal with our mr nomad yeah he's like i'm tired of getting my ass handed to me we need a professional yeah yeah well do you want to break up this uh steel dawn party and interject with a little alfred hitchcock oh i can do an alfred hitchcock if you want okay okay so i just want to say two things happen well yeah two things happen so i watched this one scary movie in which the bad guy was in this like container thing in the ocean and it starts to sink down and it's one of those like where the ocean is two miles deep or some shit like that uh-huh and at some point the bad guy realizes he's not getting out of the container and even if he does you, he can't swim two miles up right yeah so and, and at this point, the bad guy starts to freak out as he's in this sinking container. And then I watched this, uh, I said movie, but I meant TV show. And then I watched this TV episode. And I don't know if you've ever had this thing where all of a sudden you have a new fear now. Like, have you ever had that happen? You're like, oh, I didn't know this even existed. Right. Now I have a new fear. <laughs> so, You're like, I never thought I could 
get sealed into a container and dropped into the ocean. No, so it reminds me of one time when I, okay, so in the 90s, I worked as a cashier at a grocery store working midnights. Yeah. And around 2 a.m., it was my job to go get the carts that are like spread out through the parking lot through the end of the day that the last people hadn't picked up. And there was a couple of times people would say to me, you're out here by yourself? And right. I'd be like, usually there's like older ladies and I'd be like, yeah, they're like, well, what if someone just snatches you up and drives off without you? And, you know, nobody will even know that you're gone because your coworkers are in the aisles in the store. And right. I remember thinking like, I wasn't even afraid of this until you said something. And now I still have to get the carts. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I kind of feel this way about, you know, the, these things like gave me a new fear. Like I wasn't afraid. I never even thought about it. Now you gave me something to be afraid of. And, you know, ah, okay, but. I'm ready now. So Alfred Hitchcock Presents is a TV show. It aired from 55 to 65. Yeah. And then it went off the air and came back in 85 because they like the fives. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 85 well, to you 89. Gotta, you, gotta, you know, the first part of the decade is exciting because it's a new decade. And then you get to that middle part and you're kind of like, okay, the newness is wore off. We got to spice this up. That's true. And you get toward the end, you're like, this is trash again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So the 80s show is just like the 1950s show. It's an anthology show. Yeah. And it's just basically the 80s. It's just the spiced up version, the modernization one. So it was the first year was on NBC, 85. And then 86 through 89 was on the USA channel because NBC had canceled it. So, so they had original programming on the USA channel in the 80s? Okay, I literally, before this, I did not remember it having anything new. Yeah. I did check after this. Yeah, they did. Oh, that's but cool. I always re- do you remember when UPN became a, a channel? Uh, not really. Um, okay, I do. I, I remember that. And I remember thinking, oh, look, here's a new channel. And you could tell that the TV show was like a little bit less budget. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of Same times those cable USA. channels mostly showed reruns from what I remember. Yeah. Well, most, oh, USA did have some new stuff, but it was like the lower budget stuff. Kind of like if you watch anything that was done by the sci-fi channel. Yeah. <laughs> You know? I, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, feel me there. Okay, so the final escape was actually part of the first season. That episode aired in 1985. This is, and it gave me some, at the very end, it gave me something to be afraid of. I was like, ah. So this is an episode about a rich white lady, which I, I could not identify with, <laughs> named Lena Trent. She's like this manipulative asshole. She goes to jail because she's convicted of, you know, basically marrying her husband for money and then just offing him. Yeah. So in jail, she acts like an entitled prick to her detriment. Apparently, she never learned to read a room. You know what I mean? Right. So she's rich and socially inept. And she has this, her bunkmate, her Sully, is this woman named Esther. And she's the oldest convict in the jail. And plus, she's like a little bit touched, you know. Like if my grandma was talking, she would say she'd been blessed by God. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, Esther's a little bit special. No, okay. like in uh, what do you mean? Like, like in uh, like the brain kid, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So Esther tries to help out Lena despite you know Lena having asshole tendencies and says, Hey, you know, whatever you do, look, respect Shirley. And then you find out that Shirley is this other convict in the system, she basically runs shit. And if you don't do what she says, she just hands out beans to people, okay, yeah. like fall in line or fall onto the floor, those are her two choices for you. So Lena tries to schmooze Shirley, but it just blows up in her face. And she ends up getting, she basically like, I have all this money. And Shirley's like, oh yeah. And whoops her ass. It's like, and now it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh. 
So now she's extra desperate to get out of jail. So Lena tries to kiss the warden's ass, do a little dash of sedu uh, seduction, which he doesn't really fall for, but he does kind of agree like, hey, let me give you a job that keeps you out of general population, keeps you away from the other people. You'll get beat up less because you'll spend less time around them. And she's like, okay. So while working her new job, she sees this opportunity to escape and takes it. But unfortunately she doesn't make it. And the warden then takes away her job as punishment. Like, okay, now you obviously don't get this fucking job, okay? Right. So, yeah. So Lena, she's back in general population all day. She runs into a Shirley, and Shirley just beats the stuffing out of her, okay? So at this stage in Lena's prison career, she's being extorted. She's lost the protection of her job privileges. She's been beaten up. She has no allies because, you know, the warden's pissed. She has a terrible personality. And she's super, super desperate to escape prison. And that's when Lena meets this elderly dude named Doc who works at jail and he does various stuff, but his main thing is he's a mortician. And when an inmate dies at the prison and there isn't any family to claim them, he takes care of the body and then they take him to the cemetery on the far grounds and um, they bury him there. And after each inmate's death, there's this little alarm that goes off that tells the prisoners to come to the mortuary to assist in carrying and uh, burying the casket. So Lena's starting to get this idea like, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna wait till I hear the next death alarm go off. I'm gonna sneak into the casket. I'm gonna get carried out. And then I need someone with access to the grounds to come and unbury me. So she tells Doc like, look, dude, I know because he's like super blind and he has these super thick glasses. She's like, look, I know you need eye surgery and it, I know it's really expensive. If you dig me up the moment they bury me, I will pay for your eye surgery. I have plenty of money on the outside. And he's like naive and super desperate to get his eye surgery. So he's like, okay, you know, I agree. So the bell goes off. She sneaks in. She has to be absolutely quiet so nobody hears her because at one point there's an alarm goes off saying that there's a missing inmate and they're looking everywhere so she has to be like as quiet as possible. Right. They're carried out to the cemetery, they're buried and she waits and waits and then she's starting to have a hard time breathing because she's running out of air in the casket and she finally gives in to the urge to light a match to see what's going on and that's when she realizes that she's in the coffin with Doc. And that, <laughs> yeah no one's coming to dig her up no one knows where she went and no one can hear her screaming and the episode ends i will never fucking forget with the camera pulling back from the burial site and all you can see is there's this large field and there's the sound of her screaming just gets you know starts to fade as it pulls back and it just messed me up because like the dude stuck in the container under you know in underwater is like you know she's dying terrified locked in the small space you know, she suffocated. She's locked in a small space with a dead body and she, that she died like terrified. Yeah. Well, her plan was her plan was uh iffy at best because she was relying on a elderly blind man to dig her out. Yeah. That's but. desperate when it doesn't work. <laughs> I can tell you that the lead actress was played by which played Lena Trent. Her name was Season Publi. Oh, I know who she is. In, do you know who she is? Yeah. Yeah, she was born in 51. She worked as an actress from the 70s to 99. Yeah. Um, one of her more popular movies that she acted in was Escape from New York, which came out in 81. And she was married from Kurt Russell to Kurt Russell from 79 to 83. And they had a son named Boston Oliver Grant Russell. Isn't she the, uh, is she, in, is she the one in like the little cafe or whatever in Escape from New York? 
Yeah, well, it says, oh, I think it says like uncredited or something for her one, or like she plays a bit part where she doesn't even have like a first and last name. It says like girl in cafe or something like that. Yeah, because remember <laughs> there's that there's that little, it seems like that character is supposed to be more, but she's just in there for, doesn't she get, I don't know, she gets kidnapped by the marauders or something. I don't know. I'll have to watch it again because um, I have both Escape from LA and Escape from New York on DVD. I like those. Yeah. yeah. But you so know what I'm talking about, right? I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, she was a blonde, yeah. right? Yeah. So Patrice Donnelly, she played Shirley, and Patrice only had six acting credits to her name. And the first one was this movie called Personal Best, in which she acted as a co-star uh-huh. in a lesbian love triangle that involved an Olympic female athlete in the movie. And the other two legs of the love triangle were played by Mariel Hemingway and Scott Glenn. Do you know who Scott Glenn is? He like Urban Cowboy, The Right Stuff. He's one of those guys that if you were to look him up, you'd see that he was in like eight hundred freaking movies. Yeah. Yes. As Who soon was as he you Urban saw Cowboy? him. Huh? Who Urban Cowboy. He, in- he played the bad boyfriend that slapped De- Deborah Wingo around. Hmm. Um, the rival of John Travolta. Was he so, the guy with the weird face? Uh, I don't know if his face is weird, but it is kind of craggly. <laughs> I th- was he in the uh horror movie the keep that i don't know i don't re- i don't know i don't remember seeing that one i'm not sure yes he was he's the guy from the keep okay he's the guy he's wearing the weird mesh shirt and he hits john he makes the weird uh bull thing at the bar hit john travolta okay <laughs> i haven't it's, seen that urban since cowboy the, since i haven't seen it since the 80s no wow yeah yeah anyway okay. And the guy that, the last one is the guy that played Doc. His name is Davis Roberts. He was born in 1931. So he he was an actual, you know, he was actually older. He'd been acting since 1947. And he's the only actor I have ever looked up. And I probably looked up a hundred people because it's almost like a hobby with my husband and I when we watch movies to see what else they were in. Right. He's the only one that I have ever seen that was marked as uncredited. And his character had a first and last name, like repeatedly. And he was uncredited for, I'm not even fucking kidding me. You can look up on IMDb if you don't believe me. He was uncredited for about 95% of his acting credits from 1947 into the late 1950s. And the only reason I can guess is because he's black. Oh. You know what I mean? Those weren't exactly a lot of heavy rights times for black people. No. He's literally uncredited for 95% of his work that he did for about a decade. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe he's just like, a jerk. Maybe it wasn't oh, a... How dare you disperse a dead man's name? I don't know. I talk shit on dead people all the time. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to tell me about the rest of Steel Dawn now? No. Actually, I'm going to interject with a little bit about Wendy O. Williams. This will be our musical. This will be the musical portion of this show. Okay. Because in our debut episode, I talked a little bit about King Diamond. Yeah. You know, and then last week we had your pop music. Oh, true. So, so I'll I'll give us a little music this week. So, Wendy O. Williams. If you've never heard of Wendy O. Williams or her band, The Plasmatics, I suggest you spend a little time on YouTube. Even if you don't love it, you'll at least probably remember it. Wendy Orlean Williams was born with the initials Wow, and she did everything to live up with them, everything to live up to them. Okay. 
She was arrested in Milwaukee for simulating masturbation with the handle of a sledgehammer on stage in 1981. That in itself. Oh, I do know her. That in itself would be something. All of a sudden, you're talking about the sledgehammer masturbation, and all the picture clicked. Yeah. The arrest itself would be something, or the fight afterwards when she struck an (laughs) officer who took the opportunity to fondle her breast during the arrest. And during the fight, they ended up kicking her in the face and breaking her nose. But all charges were dropped. I, I believe also all the charges were dropped because it was kind of one of those things like, hey, this little gropey gropey. And yeah, we're like, okay, did we kick you in the face? Yes. But um, you, we did grope you. So if we forget, can you forget? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Wendy appeared on stage wearing sometimes only shaving cream on her breast or black tape over her nipples when she was feeling modest. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly nude Wendy could be seen chainsawing guitars in half spray painting fuck on a Chevy Nova before smashing with a sledgehammer and placing a bomb inside or driving a school bus through a wall full of televisions all while her dutiful band, the Plasmatics, charges on behind her. <laughs> really like, what's Wendy doing? Uh, don't look, she's starting shit on fire again. <laughs> well, the Plasmatics set out to be a over-the-top band and it was part, the stage show was part of it. Okay. Wendy's musical career outside of the Plasmatics was highlighted with work alongside members of Kiss and Motorhead. But Wendy was not a one-trick pony. Before the Plasmatics, she had performed in live sex shows in New York City and appeared in the late 70s adult film Candy Goes to Hollywood. If I understand the internet, there's a gong show spoof in the aforementioned film featuring Wendy shooting ping pong balls from her vagina. You know, say, you remember, I don't know if you remember, but the gong show don't give a fuck, if I remember correctly. (laughs) But I don't think that anyone shoot ping pong balls from their vagina. No. But Netflix and Amazon Prime don't have that movie, so I can't verify. Maybe Disney's Plus does. I didn't check. Look under the kids section. Yeah. <laughs> and also in the Middle Ages, she was part of the cast of the play Rocky Horror Picture Show that ran for six months. And she acted in episodes of TV shows like Beans Baxter and MacGyver. And she performed in films like the Reform School Girls. Um, I'm sure that was a lot of acting in Reform School Girls. As I have seen that movie. A lot of boobies. Yeah. A lot of lesbian play. A lot of boobs. Not that I'm fighting. Not that I'm I'm angry about it, but it just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the guy who made Reform School Girls, he had made a bunch of... I think Reform School Girls is supposed to be a spoof on those movies. Oh. Women in prison movies. He had made plenty of them. Yeah. He's like, I got an idea. We're not going to put them in prison. Okay, so what are we going to do? Yeah, it's Reform Reform School. (laughs) But uh, so Wendy was an actress as as well as being a musician and a performance okay. artist. She's not one trick pony. No, she's not. She's more than just whipped cream on the boobs or yeah. shaving cream. Yeah. yeah. So she spent the '90s in quasi retirement, living in a quiet, living a quiet life in Connecticut. But she was troubled. Wendy's first suicide attempt in 1993 was hammering a knife into her chest. But she changed her mind and sought medical help. What? Yeah, that's okay. pretty fucking brutal, right? Yup, yup. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, five years later, Wendy succumbed to her demons. And on April 6, 1998, she ventured into the woods, placed a bag over her head, and shot herself. Oh, my God. <laughs> but Wendy does nothing halfway. No, Wendy, you know. Even the hammer, I even see the hammer nail, uh, hammering a knife into your chest. That's all the way thing. Even if she stopped, that's still all the way. Yeah. <laughs> No oh, shit. 
but since we're recording this on April 10th, yeah. the anniversary of Wendy's death has just passed. So I thought it'd be nice to talk about her. Okay. And not oh my many, gosh, I remember her. Yeah. So yeah. not as many people in the 80s made people say, wow, like Wendy O. Williams. Oh, uh, that's a nice one. <laughs> Do you want to hear the rest of Steel Dawn? Can I? Yeah. If you are you, you can say please. If I if I don't if I don't keep fucking around, I'm allowed to hear it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, All I won't right. say please. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So we're back to the wasteland. Yes. We come back to Kasha and the team ecstatic about the stolen pump. Stolen. Nope. Okay. Story. Yeah. We I'm come back. <laughs> we come back to Kasha and the team ecstatic about the stolen pump and showering praise on Nomad. And poor Tart feels his star is fading in the camp and he's losing his position on the farm. Uh, the next thing we return, next we know we have returned to Bartertown or Meridian and Tark is drinking his troubles away. Nomad finds him and Tark tells him off. You know, Nomad finds him and Tark tells him off and then breaks down and says, nobody wants an old worn out soldier, which Tark replies, not Tark. Tark doesn't reply to himself. Nomad replies. And no, Tark did reply to himself. He's like, nobody wants And He said, yes, I do. Have some faith in yourself. Yeah. Tark decides his inner voice is going to be a friend and says, don't say that, Tark. There's exactly more to what you. Happened. This... <laughs> There's more to you than just a war-out old soldier. Yeah. Anyway, drunken Tark, nobody wants a war-out old soldier. Yeah. Nomad replies, what do you think I am? And they oh. become buddies again. They're like, we could be friends. You're not that old. And I'd be like, but my knees hurt so bad when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stay up all day without a nap. I know. Like, whoa, whoa, all day? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. back to Meridian. Meridian's a shithole, so there's always trouble. Yeah, right. So this is when we meet, we actually re-meet show, S-H-O played by British actor Christopher Nimi, the professional Dan Mills brought in to deal with Nomad. And he happens to be, oh wait, no, wait. I'm going to cut this part out. Okay. okay. So there's Trouble in Meridian and we meet Show. He's played by actor Christopher Nimi. He's very British. And he's the very, professional very that British. Dan Mills brought in who also happens to be Dun Dun Dun. The guy who killed teacher cord at the bar in the bar at the beginning of the movie well we know that because he's british and everybody knows that the british guy in the movie yeah is the bad guy hello yes the accent obviously tells you he's evil (laughs) did you ever watch uh did you have the bbc channel on cable um i only had cable for three years of my adult life well this isn't a three-year commitment to see this commercial they used to have (laughs) if it was in those three years i might have (laughs) <laughs> so they used to have this promo they would uh play called the accent of evil which would have british you know clips of british actors being bad guys in american movies oh i think i have seen that actually yeah yeah oh yeah if if they have a british accent and they're in an american movie they're obviously the bad guy come on kind of a <laughs> kind of wordplay on the axis of evil anyway yep. so funny. the plot thickens we have a fight yep. the two are fairly equally matched and the fight goes on until one of the sneaky henchmen hits Nomad with a shovel. But this enrages Show, who only wants to win on his own merit, and vows if anyone interferes again, he will behead them. 
Ooh. Tark not wanting to watch his. And he doesn't mean circumcised either. Right. <laughs> Tark not wanting to watch his renewed friend be beaten in an unfair fight jumps in, which ends in his stabbing death. Well, of course, Tark. He yeah. has to have, look, next thing you know, the dog needs to die. That's the last thing left. <laughs> Tark's character was not meant to see the end of this movie. No, he wasn't. None of Nomad's friends are. Only his woman and the kid. Right. Yes. So Nomad's recovering from his shovel, his shovel strike, and Tark's dead. So the bad guys take the opportunity to grab Kasha's son, Jax. So anyway, Nomad's back with Kasha, and he's down on himself saying, I attract violence. He was obviously working on that exit strategy to get out of their short-lived relationship. But, He's building the foundation to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he wants to go crack some heads at Dan Mills' place and get a, and get uh, Jux back. But Kasha wants to reason with Dan Mill. And being smarter, the smarter of the two, she admits it's Nomad that she has his sword and she's going to give it back to him. And he follows in, he follows her to get it and she locks him in a room. So, and she tricks him. He's a sneaky bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so he breaks out of this room. You know, she she goes to Dan Mills and he breaks out of the room and they play some, you know, kick ass. They He suits up to go kick some ass and they got this, you know, upbeat music playing. And uh, we get to Kasha at Dan Mills. Wait, isn't it upbeat like 80s apocalypse music? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Heavy on the keyboards. To let you know that the world has come to an end. Hit the keyboard. Yeah. There's probably a keytar. Keytar. <laughs> Perfect. So Kasha's Kush, at Dan Mills. She's acting reasonable at first, you know, like she's going to work with him. Mm-hmm. But then she surprises him with a weapon. She's got a we- <laughs> and she's got a knife to Dan Mills' throat. So Jux is able to get away, but Kasha isn't. And he's oh. trying to run away on one of their sail-powered soapbox derby cars, and he's being chased by the henchmen. Of course he crashes. Well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the henchmen go to grab him, and he throws sand in the henchman's face. Henchmen, we all know when it comes down to it, you got to throw sand sometimes. Yeah, because like a seven-year-old can just do so much damage with a handful of sand. Exactly. <laughs> the highlight of this part is that one of the henchmen is a character named Macker who is played by Arnold Vosloo who was Imhotep in The Mummy. Ooh, yeah. I know him. He's in other stuff, but he's always he's always Imhotep from The Mummy to me. He will always be Imhotep from The Mummy no matter how many yeah. times he plays a bad guy. Yeah. Yes. So Macker grabs Jux and Nomad is chasing Nomad is chasing after them in another soapbox racer car. And they end up in this quasi joust scenario where Nomad kamikazes his car into Imhotep and delivers the line there to make Arnold Schwarzenegger's running man proud, saying, I told you not to play with sharp objects. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, that is Can so easy. Action movie. Yeah, that shit's gold. That's yeah. gold. Yeah. He should have done it. He should have like pumped his hips at him and like, you know, said, Yeah. Did like a little swivel. <laughs> So then Nomad gets to Dan Mills. Cash is being held there. He has the inevitable duel with Sho. They're fighting. He tells, Sho tells Nomad, you're the best competition I've ever had. 
And he's but like, no yeah, let me snatch your life right from your fucking body, dude. <laughs> yeah, of course Nomad wins because Shane, well, yeah. Yeah, Shane can't lose the movie. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is an American movie. Good guy wins, gets the woman, sails yeah. off at the end. So then Dan Mills hold, still holding Kasha and he tells Nomad to drop his sword. And Nomad, pretending to oblige, pulls a small nut. He caught, you know, he settles down, setting yeah. his swords down. But then he pulls a small knife from his boot and whips it. And he hits Dan Mill right in the throat. Okay, I was going to go throat or eye. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. Throat. I think throat's easier. Uh, if you're on a low budget, the throat's easier on special effects. Oh, definitely. Because then you just have to stick something over a patch on someone's skin instead of going over their eye. Completely. Right. And he, yeah. he's wearing like this weird bandage thing around his neck already for no obvious reason. Oh, except for to hold the knife on later. <laughs> yeah, except to like fake a knife wound in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the good guy wins. But show our assassin, our British assassin, is not totally dead yet. Of course not. And he's standing there with his last breath. He goes, you know, can I have my swords? Can I die with my swords? And, you know, being too professional fighter guys whatever you want to call them nomad does him gives him this bit of respect so he can die with his swords right and uh with his dying breath show needs to know he says you know you were a commander you were something why fight for this dried up valley and these peasants <gasps> and that's what nomad reminds him about an old man in a tavern and Show starts laughing because he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he realizes now where he knows Nomad's face. Then Nomad finishes him off. Yeah. He's like, you killed my Obi-Wan, motherfucker. Eat this sword. You killed my not very developed character of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> True. All right. So there's no enemy left. So Shane decides that he's leaving Kasha. Well, of course he's got to get out of town. Yeah. <laughs> And he tells Kasha, you're the strongest person I've ever known. And then he lies right to Jux's little face and tells him, you know, if you need me, I'll be there. Uh-huh. The uh-huh. end. Set your body on fire. Yeah. And then send up a smoke signal so I, I'll know that you need help. If you need me. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't count on it because I'm probably not coming back. Yes, because, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever be able to find this place again. I'm a wanderer, son. <laughs> I've actually been married this whole time and this thing with your mom, I can't let anybody find out about it. Yeah, this is just a lark. <laughs> I was this movie's pretty ghetto and low budget and it was a Still total like box it. office flop. Still like it. Yeah, but I was surprised. It came out after Red Dawn. It came out after Dirty Dance or uh, after The Outsiders. And it's the yeah. same year as Dirty Dancing. So it's, you know. Wow. He had some he had some bigger credits before he did this. Oh yeah. Well, honestly, I, I always wonder when sometimes people take a left turn, like how what did your manager say to you or who did he owe a favor to? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how did this happen to you, man? <laughs> yeah. I think by 1987, though, the the whole post-apocalyptic movie thing was maybe just getting a little wore out. True. And maybe they could be like, and you could work with your wife. And he's like, oh shit. All right. <laughs> Well, he was definitely the bigger star, so maybe she was like, oh, I got this part in this movie. Why don't you be in it? And he's like, uh. 
Uh, or it could be him. We're like, all right, I'll do your movie, but my wife has to play the lead. Oh yeah, that could be it. Because uh-huh. <laughs> maybe maybe he wanted her to be the lead in Dirty Dancing, and they're like, no, she's like way too. She's thirty. <laughs> she's yeah, that's mentioned. She can actually fucking dance. <laughs> yeah, that's how they met. Yeah, because she's a dancer. Yeah. Yeah, she was taking dancing lessons when she was fourteen. From his mom. Yeah. And he's older. He was like eighteen or something at the time. He was twenty three. God! <laughs> no, I made that up. <laughs> oh, okay, I was like, that's grossy Josie. No, man. <laughs> no, he was he was he was 25 and she was 16 when they got married. <laughs> you lie. I do lie. <laughs> I, know, right? I was like, now you're just pulling shit out of your ass, Ben. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess it's kind of a shorter episode today. Well, it's usually about an hour. Yeah. yeah. And it's an hour. After I cut out all your mistakes, gonna be less it's gonna be less than that. Oh yeah, yeah. Cause I'm the one that, no look, honestly, a lot of times I do make mistakes, but bitch, not today. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You're on point today. And I've been stuttering and bumbling and the general. Because I had to go to somebody. <laughs> That's just how it rolls, man. <laughs> any any uh any last words before we end this? No, but honestly, expect some Flash Gordon out of me. BH. Flash Gordon or Flash Gordon? Flat, uh, honestly, I've seen Flash Gordon. Yeah. Not a bad um, soft porn, but I'm going to be talking about Flash Gordon. Is Flash Gordon in the 80s or 70s? Um, I don't know. I can tell you I watched it in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> My roommate and I rented Flash Gordon. <laughs> kind of one of those things when you were allowed to actually watch it on your own. Um, yeah, but- all I remember the the thing i remember most about flesh gordon is um at one point women this woman gets gang raped by other women oh. i think that's the only thing i remember yeah yeah <laughs> so not it's one, of those, one of those vhs boxes you always saw in the saw at the rental place but when you had to actually be given a ride to rent it your parents <laughs> weren't gonna let you get it and then when you saw it and then you could saw you could do it for yourself in the 90s and you're like oh well eh, oh. oh, i moved out of my parents house at 18 and i was like i'm doing all the adult shit now that i'm 18 like yeah. I, at the moment i turned 21 i did all the 21 shit 25 i did all the 25 shit yeah i immediately was like as soon as i was of age i was doing it i'm gonna register for selective service oh no well no shit i became a donor at 18 by like a organ donor i'm like tell me everything i will do everything yeah. <laughs> yes all right we'll look forward to uh flash gordon at some point and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week bye bye (laughs) he played uh 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 uh